Oh, what a lovely morning. What a beautiful morning. Beautiful worship. What a beautiful day to go home to the Father. We've, uh, we've known of, of where Judy's been over the last months. Years and months and uh, it's, yeah, it, it, it's sadness. But my head's filled with memories of the time I, I, I spent on the board with Judy and this shared eldership and that went for I don't know how many years. I've I, I got no recollection of that. But she always had a kind word. She always had a kind word. No matter how silly we were, she always had a kind word. <laughs> she would uh, yeah, pull us back in a line and... Uh, yeah, beautiful Judy, beautiful Judy. She'll, uh, I'm sure, have an impact when she gets where she's going. Yeah, yeah. I think as a family, uh, before I start speaking, as family we need to support the baddest elders. It's been on the board's heart for a fair while, it's been my heart. But not only through their current journey, but if, as we grow in the future at Family Life Church, there's a lot of things that we can do and need to do to, to make life work easier. We need to free our pastors and they pick up so many administrative duties and it really came to highlight with, with what Mel let us know that she was doing and, and I know that was a lot of that was picked up through the COVID period and, and it was just the way it happened but we're not there now we can do things differently so we need to t be taking the pressure off and not adding to their burden and the board as a board we're looking at how that can happen how that as a body and a family we can make that change happen we look at things that are happening. I sat with Andrew for a while on Friday and said, how, how is something going? He said, oh, yeah, we haven't looked at that for a little while. And I think, okay, so what do we need to do? And we look around our congregation and I, you know, different things that we're looking at and say, I think someone, we know someone who's gifted in that area. So don't be surprised if you get a tap on the shoulder and and asked a question about stepping in to do something. Because I th I, there's, there's things we can do. It, it, church is not just about putting a service together on a Sunday, um, pastoral caring for people through the week. There's a, there's a whole business aspect of what church is. There's a whole heap of things that we need to comply with. There's stuff we need to tick off every six months, 12 months, whatever, with a CCVT or with... Australian government, we need to comply and there's stuff to be done and uh, unfortunately at the moment Pastor Andrew is doing most of that and detracting from him being a pastor so let's, let's see what we can do. Andrew asked me a few weeks ago if I was able and available to speak today and I thought I, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a big speaker but I sort of felt to allow them the space so as he didn't have to prep a sermon, didn't have to rush back from Sarah's wedding yesterday and let them celebrate together, I thought, well, I'll try and throw something together. So 
I'm going to tell you a bit about a, a journey that we've been on. I'm going to start with a, a passage out of Jeremiah 29.11. I'm going to look at seeking God. It says there, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. Plans to give you a future and a hope. A future and a hope. I wondered where that was last year. We had a trial. I want to talk about the trial and the hardship we endured as a couple and a family. I don't want to talk about the, the physical part of the journey. I want to talk about the emotional side of it. Though it's, it may get a little bit deep. I want to talk about how we found peace in the midst of that turmoil. Early last year, January, Feb, I was getting fairly big. I was around my mid, I was at least 25, 30 centimetres bigger than I am today. Weren't sure what it was, thought I was eating too much or drinking the wrong things or, or whatever, but it was identified as a large fatty tumour in my abdomen. From the initial shock that we had at that time when the diagnosis was given, we sought and we found God's guidance. We came here and we sat with Pastor Andrew and we prayed. There was nothing we could do to, to, to solve the problem. We couldn't fix it. We just had to hand it over to God. We're probably, I don't know how long we sat here, it was an hour or so, but, but there was an unexplainable peace. It was that peace that surpasses all understanding. The tumour was expected to be and was later found to be malignant. But fortunately it's a low grade cancer. But it was too big to be treated. I couldn't have radiation, I couldn't have chemo, that would have killed me then and there. So the options were that we do nothing and I put up with the symptoms and they gradually get worse until they kill me, which would have been fairly quickly, or to go through surgery. Surgery was, would have been extensive. It was extensive. It was estimated to be six hours. It was nine. And it would have meant the removal of other organs that were damaged, which it did. There was no guarantee that it could happen. And there was no guarantee in the end that it would be successful. Ah, that's where that went. path to a successful outcome was very narrow and it could be easily fallen from. I've, I have access to my online notes at Peter Mac. I log into the portal and I, this came about probably about 12 months ago and I, I went back and reviewed some of the appointments and notes. We had one face-to-face -face meeting with the surgeon and his last notes were, and th this would have been to the team, anyone who was involved would have looked at this, was to be prepared for a possibly morbid outcome. Be ready. So where 
did I find comfort? How do I explain that feeling of complete peace? I was comforted by an amazing wife and a very supported family. And there's some people here who spent some time with us. I even had a couple of clients, colleagues that walked the journey with me. But the biggest comfort was our Heavenly Father. Psalm 23 is a starting point. It's a point where it's a passage that I think we can sit beside, it can sit beside all of us. The Lord is my shepherd. I've got everything I need. He leads, he, he lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me in the right path and I bring honour to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. I have no fear because you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honour me by anointing my head with oil and then my cup overflows with blessing. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord for my life. I know the words of this psalm are real. They were real for David when he wrote them and I believe it was around the time he had the encounter with Goliath. And they became very real for me when I was at my lowest post-surgery. So once it was all over, I spent 10 days in hospital and came home and then I just continued to go down and down and down. It was about another three weeks. My body was rebuilding, but it was sucking every ounce of energy that was from wherever it could get it. I was able to rest in the comfort of these words. The Lord is my shepherd and I've got all that I need. I was able to rest in the comfort that God is manifestly real in my life. He's not just some fictional character, he's real. And I rest in the knowledge that he sent his Holy Spirit to comfort me. So how, how did this become so real in my life? How did God become so real? I've always believed that God was real, that the Bible was true and not just a story. But something deep inside me felt that there was more. There had to be more. It's not just a story. There has to be more. So when we started, we came here in about late 2005. I started to find the path to experience more of God. So prior to that I was probably experiencing more of Sunday morning on the golf course or <laughs> wherever I could wherever I could be. I wasn't in the house but I did things with family. So the knowledge of God grew and grew and it became a relationship. And then that relationship in time became
became manifestly real. I'm not there yet. I don't think any of us get there. But I'm getting closer. Step by step, day by day, moment by moment. It's a journey. It's, there is a destination at the end of the journey, but it's a journey. And Ross shared this morning that he's just taken a journey through outback New South Wales and Queensland and the stuff he shared along the way and the campfires he sat around and enjoyed. And It's a journey. It's a, you, you make the most of each moment of that journey. How can this become real in your life? I suggest we start looking at some of the many promises that are found in Scripture. I, I, I haven't got a number of how many, but there's hundreds of them. And Jeremiah 29.11 is one of the great ones. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. The plan, they are plans for good and not for disaster. Plans to give you a future and a hope. But it's more than a promise. It's a letter of encouragement. And it's a guideline to success. I go back a few verses in that Jeremiah 29 and find it, it is actually a letter from God written by Jeremiah to the Hebrew exiles in Babylon. They'd been living a life, briefly in their history, they'd been living a life that didn't honour God. They'd been doing their own thing. And dishonouring the Sabbath, dishonouring their relationship with God. So they were taken into exile and there was false prophets and guides and mediums among them who said, oh, it's only going to be a few days, a couple of weeks, you'll be back, don't worry about it. And God had said, no, 70 years was your exile. The land has to rest. You've been dishonouring. They said, no, 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 you have a couple of days, you'll be right. But this is a letter from Jeremiah. Is it, no, it, it is 70 years. Verse 4 starts and says, This is a letter, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. You're going to be there for a while if you're expecting grandchildren. And you think 70 years that if someone in their 20s or 30s went into exile for 70 years, they're not coming back. They're going to be buried where exile was. They multiply. Do not dwindle away and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I send you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it for its welfare will determine your welfare. This few verses say to me that wherever I am in life, be happy. Work hard, do the best I can. Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the job, how good or, or crap it is, regardless of how you're doing with school, how good it is or not, a home life that's so-so, our, our political situation. If I do my best, then who knows what's going to happen. If I pray for change in those situations, who knows what's going to happen. If I bring light into a dark place, who knows what's going to happen.
So I think of the, the words of Romans 12.2 apply there. Do not conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So if I get locked in exile, if I stay, get stuck in that place where I've got a problem in my job, I hate my job, or I've, my boss is oppressing me, I've, wherever it is, whatever it is, if I conform to what they're trying to make me be, I'll be that. But if I change how I think, if I change how I react, how I behave, who knows what can change? It changes me, it may change someone else around me too. Don't let the situation define you. Let the Holy Spirit change the atmosphere of your circumstance. Think about a time when you were impressed by someone. Maybe back when you were young, when you were a child, in your teens. We've just heard of some, a couple of short comments about a lovely lady who has passed today. And she's made an impression, I know, on a lot of people. But think about someone who's made an impression on you. Just reflect on it. The person who did something, how they were, what they said, their presence that made a difference to you. Now think of someone that you might have made an impression on. By paying it forward. Are you thinking of a good impression or maybe bad? Because we do make impressions. We make impressions that are conformed to the pattern of the world or we make impressions that are transformed by the Holy Spirit. Whatever our path through each day, impressions are made. And they can be good or they can be bad. We choose. It's our choice. There's another part of this Jeremiah 29 letter. There's a bit about being happy where you are, doing the best. There's the part about making life better. And there's a promise of better things to come. The part about God's plan for our future. But there's something else for us to do if it's all going to happen. And this, this sat heavily with me for a long time. Verse 12 says, In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. In King James it says, You will seek and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Seeking. So three parts to this journey. Be integral in what you do where you are and whatever your situation in life. Second part, expect and believe in the promise of better things to come. And the third part, seek the Lord diligently. Diligently is an interesting word. It means you give everything to it. It's not just have a bit of a crack. You, you give it. You give it everything you've got. 
So I had a, I, I grabbed the concordance, the the old Strong's concordance, and I had a look, and the, I listed all of the times that seek as a, as a word is mentioned. And I went and I've checked them, and gone through a couple of different translations, and that's seek. There's other words that mean seek. But there's over 60 times in the Bible that we're told to seek God. That doesn't, doesn't cover all the translations, there's all the variations, there's, there's more. They'll take it to mean that we need to seek. It's a priority. Deuteronomy 4.29 says, but from there, and I think that's in a place of being lost, you'll search again for the Lord your God. And if you search for him with all your heart and soul, you will find him. Psalm 22, 26. All who seek the Lord will praise him. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. Psalm 105, fourth verse. Search for the Lord and for his strength. Continually seek him. Proverbs 3, 6. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. And there's more. That's four. There's another 50, I'd say. I'm not going to go through all of them, but the theme is basically the same. Search for the Lord, and he'll show you the path. Seek him with all your heart, and he will guide you. He will be found for you. I mean, we looked last week, Pastor Andrew looked at God being around us. He's there. I think we had a discussion on Tuesday night about, about the presence of God. And we know that God's everywhere. God's omnipresent. God's always there. But are we always open to his presence in our lives? And that's, that's I think, what I'm getting at. That's the wall that has to break down. And when we open ourselves to that, wonderful things happen. How do we seek the Lord? How did I seek the Lord? First place I go is the Word. It's obvious that the, the story is here. It's, it's handy if you have a, have a version that's got some study notes in it, or got some pictures, or got references to when books were written, who they were written to, the circumstances of the lives of the people that were being written to. It helps you build an understanding of where they were 2,000 years ago, or nearly 2,000 years ago, and they're not so much different then to what we experience now. The early Christian churches were suffering oppression. Christianity wasn't the flavour of the day in the year 60. In fact, it was, in a lot of places, it was outlawed. If you've stood up and you said you're a Christian, you're off with your head. So, you know, it's... They had the Roman... Greek-Roman culture had their own gods. They had their own stuff. And that was the what was approved to worship. Not this bloke out of Galilee who had a new life. So, Christians were frowned upon. So we, we can look also at heroes of faith. People who've got stories to tell. People who've been down the journey. Who've, who've come
come back from the, the brink of disaster and, and yeah, there, there's, there's plenty of those. Get into a friendship group. Get a group of people from here around you. There's, there's groups that we can all be involved in. We know that God's primary desire for us is to be in relationship with him. So life is not about rules and regulations, it's about relationship. Some denominations will put rules and regulations on how you are and how you be, and that, that's probably what put me and us off early, early in our life together, being involved in church, was the rules and regulations that we felt impressed upon us. It's about relationship. The best relationships... They take time to cultivate. They don't happen overnight. There's, not a, there's no social media thing to get you in a relationship. That just finds a person. You can see what they're doing, what they're up to, but it doesn't develop relationship. It takes time to develop a relationship. It's like a fine wine. Relationships grow as we spend time together face to face. To think of these guys who are going to cement their relationships in the coming day, coming months, years, weeks. Steve and Anita and Amy, I'm sure your relationships didn't just happen. The depth of your relationship has grown over. You've spent time together, face to face, talking, dreaming, whatever. It's just like you don't just crushed grapes to get wine. Crushed grapes is just grape juice. There's a process that the juice goes through to produce fine wine. I haven't ever made wine, but I've certainly, over my working life, had a lot to do with winemakers. There's a depth of searching to build a fine relationship with God. Searching within us, and searching out God's plan for our lives. Red, red grape juice is stored in oak barrels or soaked in oak. So it soaks in the taste. The taste of the oak permeates. And they use those barrels over and over again so as the, the flavour continues on. So we need to sit quietly with God and soak in his flavour over time. Some wines are stored in bottles and they start, this is champagne's more so, but they, stay, they stand upright and they're slowly rotated and rotated and turned until they're upside down. That process takes up to 12 months. And what happens there is the sediment is moved and it settles and it settles down on the cork and then they freeze that and pop it out. So that sediment is gone. It's a sedimentation process, a form of filtering. Maybe some of our thinking and some of our ways needs to be filtered like that. They need to be twisted and turned and tipped upside down. And then we're filtered. That crappy thinking in our lives gets tipped upside down and filtered out. Go back to Romans 12 too. Don't copy the behaviour and customs of the world, 
but Lord, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. When we conform to the laws of the world, sorry, we conform to the laws of the world, but do we need to agree with the ideas that are pushed to us? We have to obey the laws of society, otherwise we've got chaos, but there's so much other stuff out there. Do we need to see that? Do we need to agree with it? We see today in society a way that is removed from what I believe the word tells us. So for me, I review and filter what I hear about how to conform and see if it aligns with the word. And then I adjust my thinking, ask the Holy Spirit to adjust my thinking. Like the winemakers filter out the waste from the juice to produce a refined and excellent wine, we need to filter out the crap that's in our lives to become fine Christians. We can find a way to sculpt our thinking that fits more closely with God's ideal. The Holy Spirit can sculpt our ways to guide us to fit God's plan for our lives. I've got a few scriptures here to try on. These are a few that have, I've referred to for guidance when I've had trouble. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about identifying our gifts. That's the whole study series in, in that chapter alone. But then he says at the start of chapter 13, verse 1, this statement, and it, it caps off so much. If I could speak the languages of the earth and of angels, but if I don't have love for others, I'll just be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and if I understand all God's secret plans and possess all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but if I don't have love, I would be nothing. If I give everything I have to the poor, if I even sacrifice my body, I could boast about that, but if I don't have love, I've got nothing. So seeing that Paul, God, considers love so important, we get a God's perspective on what love is, and it continues on verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable and keeps no record of being wrong. Love does not rejoice in injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. I was having some relationship issues with a work colleague a few years back. I had this passage printed and I pinned on the wall by my desk. I needed a constant reminder in, the, in, in my face reminder to guide my thinking in difficult relationship situations. And it worked. A reminder that no matter how much I knew, how good I thought I was, how much of an idiot I thought they were, 
I needed to make love the relationship priority. And you know, that troubled relationship improved. And now, I won't say that I haven't changed them, but I've changed me, how I feel in that situation. I don't allow their behaviour to impact me. I can't change their behaviour. I can't, but I can change how it affects me. Philippians 4, 4-7 says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. And I say again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Not just a little bit, not just with certain people, but everything, in all that you do. Remember, the Lord's coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, that which exceeds anything we understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Don't you want some of that? Bring it on. Bring it on. It's so good to have just some, whatever works for you, whatever, whatever passages fit with you, it's good to have them or bits of them memorised. And when, when trouble comes, that's your default to go back to. So I remember the day when we had our, my diagnosis. Anna and I sat in the car in the clinic car park and said, well, what now? What now? It's in the back of my mind. I, I had this, this thought, this was playing there. So I come from a family of seven, five sisters, one brother. Of my sisters, two of them passed away in their mid-sixties from tumours, brain tumours. I was 63, diagnosed with a tumour. What's next? That was in my mind. I was, I was thinking of slowing back work a few years back, going back to part-time and being able to spend time travelling because I, I didn't know what was after 65. Whether I would go the way of two sisters or, or whether I'd go through. So it was a bit of a shock, an emotional shock. But we had that peace. And deep, deep in there in my mind, I must have known that there was something going on. Because I know coming out of hospital uh, 10 days in and you walk out of Peter Mac and on the sixth floor you go out to the lift to say goodbye to everybody and thank you and hugs and kisses and all that. But, and you leave, you go over the lifts down to the foyer and then across the foyer to the lifts down to the car park. I struggled to walk through that lift to the car park. I didn't think I was going home. I had peace, but I didn't know whether I was going home. So we said, what now? And we checked and saw what Andrew was, he was here in a bar when we came to the house. 
There was nothing we could do but lay our troubles at the Father's feet. We give thanks for our bonus years and left our worries behind. And we've had bonus years. That's another story. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. Again, in everything. Don't just be thankful for the good stuff. Be thankful in everything. For this is God's will for all who belong to Christ. I might get Andrew to the maestro of Mount Clear to tinkle the keys if he doesn't mind. If we are truly becoming children of a loving God, we need to find the way to be joyful. Find joy in everything, in the good, in the bad, and in the ugly. We need to be prayerful. We pray at all times. We need to be in constant dialogue with God. Dialogue is two ways. He speaks to us, we speak to him. And we give we need to be thankful. Give thanks in all circumstances for all things good, the bad and otherwise. This is what Psalm twenty three says to me. Let's see what it says to you. It's a bit of a prayer, it's a bit of a statement, it's a bit of everything. Close your eyes and let's go. Lord, you are my shepherd. You provide all that I need. You give me rest in beautiful spaces. You lead me to peaceful places. You renew my strength. You guide me along the right path. I will bring honour to your name. Even if I walk in the darkest valley, if life goes horribly wrong, I won't be afraid. You are always close beside me. Your rod and your staff, they protect and they comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honour me by anointing my head with oil. My cup, it overflows with your blessing. Your goodness, your unfailing love will always pursue me. And I will dwell in your house forever. Amen.